If you have your Bibles, could you take them and turn to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 1. Uh, so much of what we've just sung about, we'll now hear from God's Word. You know, the Bible, as much as we'd like it to be sometimes, the Bible isn't an encyclopedia. And sometimes it seems like it'd be convenient if we were experiencing pain, we'd go to pee and read the entry on pain, and we would process that. The Bible isn't a life skills manual with five tips or, or this, that. It's not the way the Bible's written. If you've read it very much, you know the Bible deals with subjects and topics, but they're not arranged like an encyclopedia or a, a life help manual. It's a story, isn't it? And it's embedded. I mean, the truth and the topics that God wants us to know, they're embedded in a story. So the first two-thirds of the Bible is the Old Testament, and it's a story primarily about Israel. Kind of unpacking God's working in there. Culminates in Jesus coming in the Gospels. So if you've heard of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four portraits, one Jesus, telling a story. They're all telling a story. But then you move beyond that into the passage even that we'll look at today from Romans really on the rest of the New Testament. It's unpacking what it means that Jesus Christ has come into the world. How did that change the whole story, the whole story of the world? How does that impact you and your particular story? And, and there are topics and there are themes that we learn from. But books like Philippians that we've been walking through over the last several weeks really deal with what the... God the Son coming in flesh and what his life meant and what his death means and what the resurrection means. And so what I'd like for us to do is to hear, but hear about some of these important themes in the Bible, what we're going to hear through the lens of a letter that Paul wrote to a church in Philippi. So I'd like uh, Gretchen Mahoney to come and read. She'll begin reading in the last part of Philippians 1.18 and then read to the end of the chapter. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all, for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. 
This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Well, thank you so much. So while the Bible is not this topical index, there are some major themes that Gretchen just read about. There are themes of life and death. There are themes of, like, what does it mean to to have progress and joy in your faith? There's some significant things. I want us to just walk verse by verse and unpack what, what the Lord might have for us, specifically in some of these big themes or topics that Paul is sharing with the Philippian believers. So like the first big topic I want us to take a moment and spend some time looking at is, this, is the subject of life and death. And particularly, I want us to think of what is, what is worth giving my life to. So Paul speaks to life and death and what specifically is worth giving my life to. Can, can we go back to verse 18? Look at, look at where Paul is. In verse 18, he says, yes, and I will rejoice. And then he says, for or because I can rejoice because I, I know that through, through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this what is this? It's his imprisonment, all the circumstances. He's literally in prison for the gospel. This will turn out for my deliverance. So the word deliverance there, certainly when he's in prison, it has some implications there that, that he'd like to be freed from prison. But I think he's looking beyond just immediately getting out of jail. And I think he's looking for the day where he is ultimately delivered. So another word that is, could equally be translated here as not just deliverance, but salvation. Paul says, I know. I know that through your prayers and through the, the help, the supply of the Holy Spirit, I am confident that God will ultimately save me, regardless of these circumstances, which are, were awful. I know in the end, I will be saved. But, but, he qualified that, right? In, in verse 19, he says, I know this, but it will come through your prayers and through the help of the Spirit. Romans 8 is helpful in this, and it, it, it kind of makes us wonder. So Paul says, I know I'm going to be ultimately saved, but I know that's only going to happen because you are praying. So Paul says at the beginning, I'm praying for you, but now he says, I know you're praying for me. And if you weren't, I, I wouldn't have this confidence But I know that through your prayers, God in his mysterious working is taking your prayers and he's also taking the help, the supply of the Holy Spirit and he's bringing them together and he will accomplish my salvation. What an amazing thing. I have confidence that I will be delivered. But you read on, look at verse 20. It says, this is my eager expectation, my hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but With full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. What does he expect according to these verses? What does he expect? He expects not to be ashamed. What does ashamed mean? I mean, there's like minor embarrassment and I'm a a little ashamed of myself. But this this is certainly going deeper than that, isn't it? 
It's the shame felt when you have put your full confidence in something and it didn't deliver and you look like an absolute fool. fool. You've taken, you know, you bet the farm on this particular idea or thought or person and it was foolish and everybody said, oh, what a dumb thing to do. And you did it anyway. And then in the end you go, how stupid of me. I'm so ashamed of myself. I'm so ashamed of the pain I've caused, the problems I've caused. That's more in line what Paul's talking about. He's saying, I when I have my ultimate salvation, when I stand before the throne of Jesus, I'm not going to be ashamed of anything at that point. Any confidence I had in Christ. Man, there's a lot of things that really don't cost us much. So I fill out surveys or questionnaires and I'm going to ask you for your age range and you fill that out or check whatever box and you, you know, what, what's your income range and you check that box and those things don't cost much. But, like figuratively, when you check the box saying, I am a follower of Christ, that costs you something. That costs you something. You identify with him, and Paul says, even with the cost. I'll bear the cost, and others may think it's foolish now. Because I know one day I will not be ashamed for my confidence in the Lord. That, that's not going to happen because I have you praying for me and I have the Holy Spirit supplying the help I need. And there is this end goal that Christ would be honored in his body, that Christ would be made big, that people would see him for the glory that, that he has. He introduces this thing in verse 20. He says, I, I know Christ will be honored by my life or by my death. By life or death. So he, he's now talking about life or death issues. I don't think he's playing, you know, some sort of hypothetical game. What's the worst that could happen? The stakes are too high for Paul. But he is digging into matters of life and death. And look at what he believes is worth living for. Look at verse 21. He says this, For to me, if we're talking about life and death, for to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain if I am to live in the flesh well, that will mean fruit, fruitful labor for me. Yet which I, I shall choose, I, I can't tell. I'm pressed between the two. My desire, if you want to know what I want, is to, to depart and be with Christ. That's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So he's talking about life or death, departing, which is better. I don't think this is a, a particularly emotionally weak moment for Paul where he's thinking about checking it out and uh, punk, punching the ticket and I, I'm done with life. I don't think that's what's going on here. I think what Paul is saying is, this is my situation. And, and so have you, have you ever done this when you have a decision before you, you begin to say, here are the pros of this. Here would be the good things that could happen. So here might be my reasons for that. And you begin to fill in. And here's another column. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fill out my reasons here. I think what Paul is doing is saying, Let, let's play this out. And I, I'm grateful he brings us into his thought process. And let, let's bring it out. We want to talk about life and death. So let, let, let's go into Paul's thought press, process and let's kind of stack it up. So first of all, on the living side, is that living would be all about Christ. If God were to give me more days in the flesh, they would all be about Christ. But then on, on the dying side, if I, if I didn't get out of prison, if I were to be executed for my faith, well, that's just gain. That's in the prophet column. 
He plays it out further. If I'm living in the flesh, verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, well, you know what that means? That will mean fruitful labor for me. I, I'm, I'm able to do things for the Lord, good works for the Lord. But then he goes to this, this hard choice. I mean, there, there could be some successes, some things gained if, if, if he goes on continuing to live. And he says it's a hard choice. It's hard because on the dying side, as he gets to verse 23, I, my desire is to depart. You get very far in life and you'd say, sometimes it would just be better. I mean, to, be, to, to depart would mean no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. For Paul, who had been beaten multiple times for his faith, shipwrecked in trying to spread the gospel all over, to depart, to be done with that, that's not all he says. It's not just to depart like he's not some sort of escapist. Just let me out of all this. No, to depart and be with Christ. That. To be with Christ. Faith becomes sight. To see the lamb who was slain for me. We're talking to be with him. Well, that's far better. But there's one more thing that he puts in the account of living that actually tips the scales in his mind. In, in, in verse 24, he says to remain in the flesh actually what tips the scales is actually it's more necessary for you. So I want to be here for you. That's the benefit of living and God will make the decisions that he makes concerning our life and death. I wonder if we fully, fully brought into our lives what it means of these life and death messages. So can we just back up for a moment to verse 21? which I'd say if you haven't memorized scripture verses in a long time, this would be a great place to start. Verse 21, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. You know what Paul's saying? I think we need to hear this this morning. He's saying that Christ is the only thing worth living for. Christ is the ultimate thing worth living for. Christianity is about a person, not a set of rules. It's about a, our relationship with Jesus, Jesus who was crucified for us and our sins, who was raised from the dead, is exalted. Jesus, the one who is called Christ, the anointed one of God, who's called Lord. We say, Lord Jesus Christ, he's the ruler, he's the authority. Jesus, the one who is present with us by the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the one who is coming to bring all of this present life to resolution. Jesus, the one who will reign forever. So Paul would say, you know what my life is all about? For to me, living is Christ. To live is Christ. He's the the centerpiece. He's the hub of it all. He's the goal at the end of it all. He's the motivation why I would get out of bed in the morning. It's Christ. He's the object of it all. He's the inspiration of it all. He's why I'm personally devoted, why I'm committed. He's he's who I am serving. His gospel is the one I'm telling and the one I'm sharing. It's Christ. And and what I think would be most helpful for us is to take that verse and begin to like do a heart inventory this morning of if, if I had to fill out that verse, if I were writing the letter instead of Paul, you were writing the letter instead of Paul, could you say for to me to live is, and what would you put in the blank? What would you put in the blank? What is living to you? Could I say that everything about my life is Christ? And before you answer too quickly, I say, well, of course, Curtis, I'm a Christian. I've always been one. 
before you answer too quickly, I want you to think of all the stuff in your life. And could you say, all that stuff, but living is Christ. Could, could you think about all the friends you have and, and how much they mean to you and say, but still, living, to live is Christ. Could you think about all the circumstances? Could you think about all the pain that you have endured, you are enduring, you know is on the horizon, and could you say, yeah, all that, but Christ is still, Christ is still worth living. He's the only one worth living for. Could you take your family and say, I I love my family, but living to live is actually Christ. Could you take the career and all your ambitions in your career and say, yeah, but but actually that's just one, living is Christ or all your sufferings or all the advances you have or the demotions you've endured or the security that you crave or the fears you have and say all of that is wrapped up in Christ. To live is Christ. Or would you have to more honestly say to live is, like, I don't know that I care, uh, livy, care to go on living if I don't have his approval, if I don't have their approval. If they, don't, if they don't seem to like me, if they don't seem to think I'm worth something, I'm not sure life's worth living. Would it be more honest to say, if I don't have that relationship, I'm not sure I really want to go on. If I can't make those grades, if I can't get into that school, if I can't just kind of look at a picture of a beautiful family and say, there it is. You want to know what my life is about for me? It's right there in that picture. That's what life's all about for me. Do you say with Paul, even the good gifts that God's given you, do you say, those are, those are wonderful, but living is Christ. You say, if I only had better health, I mean, that's what I'm, I'm living for, to get better. I just want to get better. Or, or is it like, if I just had a few more assurances that I, I could provide for my kids and retirement would be okay, if I just had that, I think life would be okay. If I just had a friend to deal with my loneliness, I think I could go on living. I wonder what consumes your life right now. Is it even the next stage of life that living seems all about when I, when I finally get rid of this and kind of blow out of Delaware or wherever you want, you want to get rid of or free from it. I just want that next stage and then I really will be living. And I, I want you to hear Paul saying, to live, to live is Christ. Just one more of this. If only I had that. A little less of this. A lot less of this. What is it? What is it right now that's making us bitter that we can't attain it? And say, you know, I I want to live a life that's meaningful, but I can't because of this. And it's just eating you up on the inside. What is it that begins to trigger such anxieties that if I were to lose this, Curtis, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it'd be worth going on. To live is Christ. What are you living for if it's anything other than Christ? It just doesn't hold. Sometimes we need a picture to kind of understand this spiritual truth. So a previous church that I was at, we would regularly have to set up chairs for, for meetings, but the chairs that we had were the most flimsy chairs that you can imagine. And they were terrible. Everybody knew they were terrible. And we set up these chairs and you could see people even as they were approaching them. Like, I'm not, I assume not everybody has a physics degree, but everybody kind of, as they looked at the chair and kind of looked at themselves, you, know, you just saw the, the easing into this because not sure that that chair is going to do the job. And quite honestly, there were a few casualties at times because the chair didn't do the, didn't do the job. And 
That's why I'm proud to say, Ogletown, we got some sturdy chairs here. We're taking care of you. Like, you need to count your blessings because no flimsy stuff here. Not at all. When I think about that, I think a few, a few giggles aside thinking of how not fun it was to sit in those chairs. I think I watch sometimes where in my own life I'm, I'm counting on things to hold the weight of my expectations. I, I'm counting on it to hold the weight of my ambitions and dreams. And I'm putting my weight on something that, that can never hold it. Because only Christ is meant to hold it. Only Christ is, is a sturdy enough refuge to hold it. Some of the deepest heartbreaks I've had are these expectations and ideas and thoughts that I, I you know, you kind of sometimes imagine this is the way life's going to go and then this and then this and they're going to do this and then I'm going to be successful and, and, and she's going to like me and this is friendship's going to work out and then I'm going to have a future here. And you begin to put all those expectations and then when it collapses, when it collapses underneath you, it's such, it's such a, a heart-wrenching experience. And you learn, but sometimes we don't learn the lesson so well, that those things were never meant to hold. Your job was not meant to hold all the expectations of life. Your family was not meant to hold all the expectations of life. A marriage that you want, a marriage that you have was never meant to hold it all. Money in the bank, is that, is that, is that going to be sturdy enough to hold life? Your current health, is that going to be sturdy enough to hold all of your ambitions in life? It's not. It's not. Only Christ is. Only Christ can hold there. I think that's so important. And it's not just in our own lives, but this is what's going to happen. We are going to be deployed this week into a world where there are going to be people that are putting their hopes in things. And they're counting on them. They're counting, if I just get that promotion, if I just land this, if I just have this, if I could just have this friendship, if I could just get this in order. And they're going to put their hopes in. And here we are deployed into their world, into their life. And there are neighbors, and there are friends, and there are family members. And there are people that we'll sit around a, a, a lunch table with, and we'll hear them, we'll watch them as they're, they're putting their hopes in things that can't hold. And what God may do is put you in a prime spot to speak to them. You say, well, Curtis, I'm no expert on Christianity. What would I have to say to them? And see, I don't think God's looking for experts on Christianity at that moment. I think what may be most valuable is not all your expertise in Christianity and how to defend the Christian faith. What may be most helpful in that moment is for you to share what can hold life together, the only thing that can hold that weight. That may be what is most critical. Even as inadequate as you feel, you enter into that. I wonder what opportunities God might open up as a follower of Jesus this, this week to talk to those who are, whose heart is breaking because they put their hope in something and it couldn't hold it because it never was designed to. Living is Christ, life wrapped up in him. Dying is gain, Paul says. But we could, we could think about this wrongly. So Paul says to live is Christ. So does that just mean like somehow you levitate spiritually and just kind of hovering because you're just, it's just Christ. It's all about Jesus and you can't really live real life. You're kind of irrelevant to people because you're, you're kind of living just you and Jesus. And actually Paul goes a different direction. Look at verse 25. He says, convinced of this, convinced of the fact that living is Christ, 
and I'm, I'm supposed to be here for you. He says, I know I'm going to remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. This doesn't make him less relevant. It makes him more relevant because he's saying, because Christ is life to me, I'm going to pour my life out for you, for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me, you would have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. You want to know what life was to Paul? It was Christ, but it's not some mystical, weird experience that never actually helped anybody. He was pouring his life out for others. And Christ is life, and I'm giving my life for him as I share it with you. So what does it look like to, have, to make progress and have joy in the faith? This is what, what's on Paul's mind. He's, he's interested in their progress and joy in the faith. What does it look like for them to grow, make the progress, to grow as a Christian? Because there, there are moments where we feel closer to God. What, what is, what's at the root of that? Surely it's not one, two, three, and it easily happens. There are people that we know, that's a good Christian, that's a strong Christian. That's a person that seems to be a very spiritual person. What, what's going on there? What does it mean to make progress and joy, have joy in the faith? Look at verse 27, only let your manner of life, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What is this manner of life? It's, it's the conduct that makes sense because we are a citizen. Let your manner of life. But in here, it's the citizen is not, for me, my nationality and being a U.S. citizen or being you know, a, a resident here in, in Delaware. This is a different kind of citizenship. It's actually a citizenship that belongs to the future, belongs in heaven, and it's imported right now. Our citizenship is in heaven. So walk in a manner worthy a manner of life. Kind of conduct yourself as a citizen, not of this world, but actually of the future of eternity, and conduct yourself with those kind of values and live as a good citizen. So what, what does that look like? In verse 27, Paul says, live in such a way where you're standing firm in one spirit. This is what it looks like. It looks like unity. One mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. The name of this series is We Are Better Together. And this verse is one more deposit in the account of reminding us that we are better together. We need each other. So one spirit, one mind, side by side. Do we have that? Are are we united in that way? What does it mean to really have a strong relationship with Jesus Christ? It means we are standing side by side with some brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to make sure we have the right image in our mind. So I want to show one picture of side by side. Can we see that picture? So that is the, the food court at Christiana Mall. And I'm not a creeper. I didn't take that picture. It was on the internet. So if you're in that picture, that wasn't me. You were already documented. But you see a lot of people sitting there side by side. They go in there, they get what they want. And when they're done, they may take their trash back. They may not. Someone else can take, take care of it if they don't. And it's all about a, a transaction, isn't it? It's all about being a consumer. You get what you want. You leave when you're done. Side by side. I think we know intuitively that is not, that is not what Christ died for, that we all would be consumers in this place. We all just sit side by side, consuming whatever products the church wants to give, and then go our merry way, grateful for something we could consume. Did Christ die for that? Is that, what Paul's, is that what Paul's saying? Or could there be another picture? And, and surely there would be many pictures. Could we show the next one? 
Yeah, see, this side-by-side side has a very different implication. See, this side-by-side this side is life and death. Striving. This is a, a, a different kind of side-by-side, side, isn't it? On the walls around here, you'll see experienced community. And it's not some, not some little cliche or a slogan. See, what we recognize is, is that is what this is saying. You are walking side by side, one mind, one heart, that we are together in this for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ. And maybe you're hurting because you think, yeah, I, I, want, I wish side by side and one mind and one heart, but I, I have too much baggage, too much church baggage to ever think that is possible. Maybe God has to do a fresh work in your heart because you find yourself pretty skeptical as to whether it ever really can work like that. And it certainly doesn't work like that perfectly at our church. But that's the call, isn't it? That's our call. That's why I invest deeply in each other's lives, that we're standing side by side, because there is an opponent. So Paul would say in verse 28 that we would not be frightened in anything by our opponents. So there's strength when standing against opponents, those that would oppose the message of Christ, those that would oppose Christ himself. And he said, this is actually a clear sign. When you are standing side by side, this is a clear sign of their destruction, that the road they're on is not the way of Christ, and there's eternal consequences that hang in that. Because the gates of hell don't prevail against the church. Jesus has overcome the world. The new heavens and the new earth do come. And God, God's enemies will be set down. And there's destruction coming. And we, when we are the body of Christ, we're saying to the opponents who say, I want nothing to do with Jesus. We're saying there's, the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. The church is advancing. Turn to Christ. The weapons we have are like love and prayer. We have the sword of the Spirit. And we go forward. Knowing their opponents, we're not frightened by that. Because we know we've got a message of salvation. That it can even turn those opponents into followers of Jesus. And there's this last piece of what it means like have progress and joy in your faith. Verse 29 speaks of this assurance that we can have of God's grace in our suffering. So Paul says to the Philippians, for it has been granted to you. The word granted there, most of the time in the New Testament, is translated grace. For God's graced you in this way. So what's the grace that God's given? That for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him. Well, that certainly is grace. By grace we're saved through faith. I mean, it's not, a, not of ourselves. But this goes further, doesn't it? It says it's also God's grace, not just that you believe in him, that you have a part in suffering for him, for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. You're fighting for Christ. You've been graced in this way that for the sake of Christ, you not only believe in him, but you also suffer for him. And this is counterintuitive. Suffering rarely seems like a gift to me. Even suffering for Christ rarely immediately hits me like, wow, what a gift. But then, as I think about it, I think of times where I've had a friend going through a difficult time. Maybe it's physical, maybe it's emotional, and they call me, or they call you, and they begin to, they begin to talk, they can get about one sentence over, and what do you say? I'll be right over there. I'm coming over. And in that moment, you know what you do? You are... 
You're taking on their pain, their suffering, and you're bearing it with them. And if I were to ask you in that moment, like, that doesn't seem like it's very fun, you'd say, no, no, this is a gift because they're hurting and I want to be with them. They mean so much to me. I want to be with them when they're hurting. It's an honor. It's an honor to shed a tear. It's an honor to be at the funeral. It's an honor to walk with them. It's an honor to make sure they know they are not alone, that I really care. And it wasn't just about good times. It's about all of it. It's an honor to suffer with them. And it would be an honor to suffer for them. Then maybe we have a glimpse into this thing. And Paul isn't just like loving suffering, but he knows even when sometimes suffering for Christ is painful. God uses it as a gift for us to know what the sufferings of Christ were like. We might suffer. It's not outside of God's grace. So yeah, the Bible's not, I said at the beginning, it's not this encyclopedia. But Paul is not playing small ball here, is he? What Paul has talked about is like, what are you living your life for? What is life and death like? What does that hinge on for you? How, how are you growing in unity with believers and in strength against opposition even and in assurance that God is working through suffering? How are you growing as a Christian? We're together in this. And we're better together. I ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. I just want us to reflect for a moment because the reality is life as a follower of Jesus is not easy and certainly following Jesus together is not easy. There are frustrations and disappointments we could all name, we all feel. There are distractions and temptations that take us away from saying, to me, to live as Christ, it's everything. But what if we did something? What if we prayed today? Lord, reset my priorities. Lord, deal with my anxieties. Lord, use my decisions so that I can truly say, for me, living is Christ. It's all about him. He's, they, I, I don't even feel like right now I want to, to pray those. Then maybe just pray, Lord, help my desires to change. Jumpstart my progress and join the faith so that I would actually want these things. Oh, Lord, help us. Our priorities are way out of whack. And it's not just a minor indiscretion. We have to repent and turn and believe all that you are for us. Lord, help us to evaluate living in light of Christ. We need your help to do this. So God, pour out your grace on us. Jumpstart us today. Breathe life into us again today that we might live for you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.